This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 10th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. As private schools and some local health authorities clash over when and how to reopen schools, how much of that restriction is driven by health concerns and how much might be driven by an attempt to deny private institutions a competitive advantage? Cato's Neil McCluskey discusses the politics of school reopenings as the coronavirus spreads in the United States. A new Gallup poll points to pretty sharp, uh, clear, and large distinctions about what parents want for their children come fall. Um, uh, tell us about about that and what your takeaway is. Yeah, so this poll, which was conducted uh, sort of mid-July, um, was asking parents, you know, what would they feel comfortable with in terms of how education was delivered to their kids? And what's interesting is it came to almost a one-third, one-third, one-third breakdown. About one-third said they would uh, feel comfortable with and prefer that their kids got in-person education, uh, so actually in a physical school. About one-third uh, said they would be most comfortable with a hybrid, which would be maybe two days in the school and then the rest of their education delivered online. And then about a third said they would feel comfortable only with distance education. So that typically means online. Could also mean you pick up some packets from your teachers so you're doing a physical piece of paper, but not actual schooling. And what's really interesting about this is it was such a uh, clean cut of different people. What it really emphasize is how important it is that we have school choice because you have very clear segments of the at least parental population that want very distinct ways of having education delivered. With respect to specific states and localities that are trying to make this decision, and a lot of schools are still seem to have their plans up in the air, even though school is uh, scheduled to start already for, for some of them. Um, in Maryland, uh, some private schools tried to present to uh, local officials their plans for reopening, their plans for safety, and the local officials said, "No, it's you're not. No, not good." Yeah, well, here's the interesting thing. So, what we're seeing as a trend, at least anecdotally, um, is, uh, and this is pretty much across the country, is that public schools are increasingly saying, at least for the first month or two of the new school year, they're going to have only online education. And that's been a change over the last few weeks as there's been increase in the incidence of COVID-19 that they said, look, we had planned to have some in-person, maybe a hybrid, maybe totally. Now it's going all online. What we've seen from private schools is more offering in-person education. So we're starting to see a pretty clear divergence between public schools and private schools, what they're going to offer. Although, of course, it varies from school to school and district to district and state to state, but that's sort of the national trend. And that actually makes some sense in that, well, for one thing, private schools tend to be smaller. They tend to have more ability, therefore, to social distance and things like that. But what we would see then is that the public schools that you have to pay for weren't we're giving you only one choice for the most part, which was uh, online. And people, again, anecdotally, look to be increasingly going to private schools and, and expressing interest in private schools if they wanted in-person education. Well, what we saw in Montgomery County, Maryland, at least very briefly, was 
basically on a Friday evening after, you know, everybody had gotten their news, people were at home. Uh, the, the primary health official in the uh, in the county of or in Montgomery County, Maryland, said, oh, well, he is ruling that even private school cannot open in person until October 1st. And that really upset a lot of people because a lot of private schools have been making a lot of preparations to open and to open safely uh, for the new school year. And then they were being told even people who would want to pay for the private school can't access that option. And many people are very upset because, one, they private schools have done a lot of work to prepare, but they need either or they feel they need in-person education because their children respond much better to having, you know, being in the room with a teacher. Some parents need to work and they need to have their kids out of the house. Some people, the online component didn't work well. And what this county was saying was too bad. You're all going to have to go online. You cannot choose something else. So uh, enter Governor Larry Hogan, who said that schools on an individual basis should retain the ability to determine when they open. Is that about what he said? Yeah, well, what's interesting was he had actually uh, made an executive order that let counties make decisions for themselves about uh, their health situation, which is actually kind of what you want when you're talking about government is you want to have as local a decision-making process as possible because different communities have different threats. Um, but what he did basically, so this decision was made in Montgomery County late on a Friday. Well, by Monday, uh, that following Monday morning or early afternoon, he said, I'm changing my order to overrule counties that would say private schools can't make their own opening decisions because we need to have people within, or we need Marylanders to have the ability to choose something other than just what the public schools feel comfortable delivering. And so it's a, from a uh, subsidiarity standpoint, if you want to call it that, it's interesting because in government, we'd rather have local uh, levels making local decisions. But in this case, the state stepped in and said, even better, let's let individual parents make decisions about, and educators, individual educators as well, decide how they want to consume and deliver education. So uh, what does this look like outside of Maryland? Well, so we're seeing sort of some places with similar problems. Um, in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Unified School District said, look, we are going to be online to begin the year. The uh, Catholic Archdiocese said our schools will be uh, mainly in person. But then the governor of California said, well, you know, we have these, these different zones, basically, of the state uh, where we uh, assess the concentration of COVID-19. And he ruled that, well, Los Angeles is in a zone where we're not going to allow anybody to open up in person. And so we see this sort of tension at least repeated in most states. Are you going to allow, are you going to have state decisions, local decisions, and to what extent are those going to apply to private schools? And then there's a whole concern that the decisions aren't being made based on really health concerns, but that policymakers and politicians don't want private schools to be able to basically kind of show up at public schools where the public schools say we're only going to deliver in or online education. And at the same time, you'd have private schools in the same place offering in-person education that seems more effective and 
you don't see an uptick in coronavirus cases in those schools. And there's also a lot of public money attached to how many kids are enrolled in a school at the beginning of the school year. So Walter Olson, of course, of Cato, he looked into why in Montgomery County, Maryland, did they pick October 1st as the date where they said, everybody has to go online until October 1st, and then we'll reevaluate. Well, it turns out September 30th is the day where they count how many kids are enrolled in a public school. So it's at least possible that you have public officials trying to, you know, kind of put their thumb on the scale uh, for the public schools against their competitors, the private schools, by saying, oh, no, they can't offer you anything different until we're done with the count. That has a lot to do with how much state money we get, how much federal money we get. Importantly, we don't know that that was the motivation, but it's possible. And there are other places in Pennsylvania, they've said, look, we can't, we're going to have to cap how many people enroll in a cyber charter school because those schools could be taking kids from the traditional public school districts and those districts need the money that comes with enrollment. In that case, they're being very clear. You can't have a different option, people who have specialized in online education, because the traditional public schools may lose money. So there are lots of things at work at these decisions, and they may not all be about what is the best for the health of the population. That does seem awfully convenient um, for parents who are waiting it out and don't really want to go along with the plans that their local governments have decided what options exist. Well, so it all depends on which local government has made which decision. In many cases, the local school district will say our public schools uh, will be open only online, at least for a certain number of months, and then we'll reevaluate. In many of those places, the private schools are still allowed to make their own decisions. And charter schools may be allowed to make their own decisions. And charter schools are sort of like a public-private hybrid and that they're public schools, but they tend to have a lot of autonomy over their decision-making. Uh, if you're in one of those places that has a charter school, you could choose that charter school that may be open in person, and you don't have to pay anymore because it's a public school. If you don't have that option, private schools are there, and but you may have to pay for the private school. Um, in 29 states, there's school choice programs, education savings accounts, uh, vouchers, scholarship tax credits. You may be eligible for one of those. And then in some states, the governor has used federal money that they were given under the CARES Act um, uh, for South Carolina, for instance, is one of them, where you could potentially take some money to an option other than your traditional public school. It could be a charter school. It could even be a private school. But for the most part, if you want that private school, you're going to have to pay for it. Um, and, but there's also, you know, this is a time we're seeing a lot uh it feels like, at least, a lot of additional momentum for school choice because there's so many parents confronted with really no option when they need something else. And so it is possible that we'll see other states start to expand uh, their school choice options. And we, we've seen it discussed in places like South Carolina and Oklahoma and some other states. As you know, in Kentucky, there is no such thing. Uh, as school choice, at least broadly speaking, uh, choice by realtor is basically the uh, only option. So what do you tell parents who are stuck like that? 
Well, if you are in a state that really has no options, and you know Kentucky has a charter school law, but as last I saw, no actual charter schools, um, your only choice is you pay for a private school. Um, there are, you know, you uh, people may have heard of this idea of micro schooling and pods, uh, where you could sort of uh, almost it seems to be done in some cases on an almost emergency basis, where about ten families or so will pool their money to hire a teacher uh, for their kids, and there'll sort of be a self-contained little community so they can get in-person education and try and you know, keep COVID-19 out by, by monitoring each other and knowing each other. You may be able to find something like that, but you still have to pay for it yourself. So what this light is being really a very bright light is being shown on this problem of we all have to pay for schools but they're the public schools and if you want or need something different you got to pay a second time and it's becoming very clear to a lot of people finally that this is a problem because they're presented with these very stark choices you either have education that is only online that doesn't work for your child or you pay on top of all your taxes for a private school that is in person that may work well for them. Or it's also possible you may be in a public school district where they're only having in-person education and you worry about the health ramifications and you'd like a private school or something different because that's how you feel your child will be safe, will not get COVID-19, but you can't have that option without paying a second time. It's just a system that makes no sense and COVID-19 is making that abundantly clear to a vast swath of the population. Is there any way to properly evaluate the preparations that schools have made over the summer for the situation we're in? I mean, it's it's almost unprecedented. Uh, it's close to being unprecedented, if nothing else. And certainly schools are in a, in a, a difficult bind, but uh, with the way the polling is split, uh, fairly evenly. I'm sure a lot of school systems have felt enormous pressure to do multiple things. Um, is it fair to be critical of how they performed? Well, I think we have to, if we evaluate any school or district, I mean, we've got to be pretty generous to the school, the district, uh, that this is an unprecedented situation for sure, that you uh, have lots of people who have different uh, tolerances for risk, and that we there's a lot we, we don't know. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, what we do have some idea about is that school-age kids, especially though younger school-age kids, um, but all school-age kids are less likely to get a serious case of COVID-19. And the younger you get, the less likely it is you have such a case. And it appears that the younger kids, basically under the age of 10, are less likely to communicate that to other people. But, uh, you know, this research is still developing. So there was a study out of uh, South Korea that suggested that older kids, you know, think middle school and high school, basically, may be as likely to communicate COVID-19 or coronavirus as adults. So this is all developing, but we have decent reason to believe that school-age kids are 
certainly under less threat themselves to get a bad case. And then we do know that there are lots of things that you can do to help to mitigate the danger. So if everybody wears a mask, that appears to help. If you socially distance, you keep you know kids six feet apart, that appears to help. Um, there's most of the communication of the disease happens indoors, not outdoors. We see schools that are actually building outdoor classrooms. We see schools that are buying the you know the best sort of filtration system they can for their HVAC that will eliminate most of the COVID-19 in the air. So parents should ask the schools they're looking at if they want to go in person, what mitigation steps are you taking? You know, are you taking kids' temperatures when they uh, arrive at school? And I think what they find is most schools, even private schools, are they are doing the temperature checks. They are upgrading their HVAC facility. They are going to have the distancing uh, that is recommended. And we also have to remember, you know, it's a kind of a seen versus unseen thing that there are lots of really bad things that happen to kids cumulatively in their lives if they're not in school or even immediately if you think about abuse or something that's not caught. There are bad things that happen when you're not in school. Um, that we're not paying a lot of attention to when we say, well, we've just got to avoid COVID-19. And for a lot of people, they may say, it's much better for my child to be in a physical school, even if there's some risk that they'll get COVID-19, because the risk is low that they'll get it, and that if they do get it, the risk is low that it'll be severe. Whereas if they're at home, you know, maybe uh, left unattended, possibly doing dangerous things at home, possibly leaving home and doing dangerous things, um, that risk of being in school may be totally outweighed by the risk of not being in school. But we don't think about that typically when we're making policy because we're all kind of focused on one thing right now, and that's the coronavirus. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 